Hello friends, how's it going? It's Matt, I'm Ron, episode 78 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening, I hope you enjoy this one. So this episode is part two of my special Huntington Beach Omnibus, recording during my stay in town during my three-week-long road trip around California. Now, why HB Omnibus? Well, because my guests for the last episode and this have long associations with this legendary sideways town, so it seemed fitting to tie them both together. Last week, I welcomed Craig Peterson and Kevin Norton onto the show, and this week, I headed over to meet Herbie Fletcher. Now, the word legend is bandied around a lot these days, particularly in surfing and particularly by me on this podcast, but there really is no other word big enough to capture both Herbie's personality and what he represents. As my friend and two-time Looking Sideways podcast guest Jamie Brissick put it, in rock and roll we've got Iggy Pop and Mick Jagger, in surfing we've got Herbie Fletcher. He is that legendary. Why? Well, where do you start? There's the surfing, of course, which spans five decades in a career that's taken in every conceivable highlight of surfing history. Herbie's one of the great stylists, whether charging Hawaii as a kid in the mid-60s and even today on the occasions when he graces his favourite local breaks with his presence. Then there's his enduring relevance, whether it was that aforementioned apprenticeship in Hawaii, bringing back longboarding with the genius tagline, the thrill is back in the 70s, starting Astro Deck in the 80s, pioneering toe surfing, taking over the surf video market with Wave Warriors, Herbie's been at the cutting edge of every key development in surf history and has often been literally years ahead of his time. As my great friend and surf journalist Ben Mundy put it, he's a master of staying relevant, often with against-the-grain choices that turn out to be precursors for movements that go on to define individual eras of surfing. Then there's the fact that Herbie's the patriarch of the board riding dynasty, father to Christian and Nathan, grandfather to Grayson, and married to the equally legendary Dibby, herself a member of the great Hoffman family and serve royalty in her own right. So as you might imagine, myself and Owen Toza were gripped with a mixture of excitement and apprehension as we headed to the Astro Deck HQ for our audience with Herbie. And uh, what an occasion it was and what a treasure trove of an environment that is, piled high with memorabilia from his entire career. Includes artwork absolutely everywhere, a lifetime of boards, it really has to be seen to be believed. The other thing is, is if his status as a surfing legend isn't enough, Herbie's also a renowned artist who's had exhibitions around the world, who works across every conceivable medium. He counts Julian Schnabel as a close friend and surfing buddy. And at the time of my visit was prepping for a forthcoming exhibition at the Gagosian. Yep, he's the real deal. The chance to hear Herbie's story from the man himself was a real pinch yourself moment and a true highlight of our trip around California. I'm going to quickly point out there's a few sound issues with this one, mainly because of uh, Herbie's expressive ways of telling his tales. So I hope you can live with it. But yeah, without further ado, here it is, me and Herbie Fletcher, Dynasty. Enjoy. So how are you, Herb? Good day. What yeah. do you say? <laughs> I'm, I'm just stoked to be here. It's just amazing to see oh, this place. I'm glad to be here too. Yeah, well, this great. Thank you for coming by. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you. So how long have you had this place? 
Well, in this spot, I think we've been here 11 years, and then in the spot down the street, we're there probably over 20 years. So. Yeah. But we've been doing Astrodex since 76. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've been surfing since 58. 58, yeah. And I moved to Hawaii, uh, ran away from everything when I was 16, and 65. And where, where, were you, where were you brought up? Where were you born? I was born in Pasadena, California, and yeah. grew up in Huntington Beach. So you grew, you grew up in Huntington. So when, yeah. when did you first see surfing? I think I was nine years old in San Clemente at T Street, and it was low tide, and I saw these people outside. I mean, nine years old, you don't, yeah. you know, it, it's outside in the big waves, you know, you, 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 it's hard to see what's going on if you don't know. You yeah, know? yeah. I wasn't raised around it, you know. I knew about skimboarding stuff from Huntington Beach, living down there, but seeing the surfers out there and losing their board, I was just tuned enough at the right age yeah nine years old that's a to, good age right to grab a surfboard that floated in and, and play on it like they were playing outside right and so um after that i was so excited about getting a surfboard i had a paper out and uh bought a uh 27 velzy and jacob balsa wood surfboard that had a ding in the nose amazing and uh we went down to doheny where all the surfers go and that's my dad took me and we went surfing i couldn't carry my surfboard it was too big and heavy yeah but we went we we're camping out at doheny and we went to patch the surfboard and we'd never really used resin like this before so we mixed it a little hot and it was sitting in the sun and i had a big glob of it on the nose because it was a balsawood board next thing i know it was like cooking and smoking and crackling <laughs> and busted out into frames up flames it up it goes right so these are your first experiences nine yeah. years old yeah right. so that was and my first were... experience with uh resin and dings and... yeah and flames and surfing yeah, yeah. and you were hooked I, I was hooked and and my mom always liked to cook for everybody and see all the guys and all the kids come over to the camp yeah and my dad was always fixing something for my mom he didn't go surfing he just wanted to fix things and the camp, you know, set it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I got him out surfing a couple times. Right. He got out there and was he he into just it? lay on his belly. But it was just fun, you know, it was yeah. just going to the beach with the family. Yeah, yeah, right. So what was that life like back then, just surfing every day, presumably, from when you were a kid, just every chance you got? Well, I only got to surf on weekends and, uh, and vacation time. Right. You know, and then... Uh, Getting older, uh, like 13, I went to the beach all the time, every chance I got. That, when I turned 12, that's all I wanted to do was surf. Yeah. And there was other things I was doing, like gymnastics and wrestling. Yeah. You know, playing football. Yeah. You know, but then in football, everybody got big by the time I was like 14, 13, yep. 14. Everybody was like a foot over my head. And, Different vibe. And uh, surfing was just... Uh, so much more fun and and more of a lifestyle and we got to travel and go surfing you know go on surf trips and yeah so the lifestyle was the thing was that what got you hooked yeah going up and down california yeah. seeing camping and yeah and and in those days there was just the highway there wasn't the freeway you know sure. so it took a long time to get places but there went the hustle and bustle of everything. You went there and you hung out for a couple of days. Yeah. You know, you didn't get back in your car and go, go out to eat. You cooked food. Yeah. You know, you went diving and got uh, abalone or, yeah. you know, 
you speared fish. You, yeah. You did different things. And up north, we'd go clamming, you know, and get clams and have clam bakes. And, Amazing. You know, it was it was different than kids do today where they just get in their car and they go to the beach, get in their wetsuit, they go yeah. surf, and then they get out of the water and hit it. Yeah. They got so many things going on, you know. Yeah. With, uh, you know, school and, you know, to have a car like, you know, they all have, you know, they got responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. So Hawaii, you mentioned early on, you said you ran away. So yeah, I went to Hawaii and I met Dibby on my first trip there. Uh, I was surfing the North Shore. I wanted to stay on the North Shore. I didn't want to go to Makaha. And a lot of the kids went to Makaha because it was an easy break. Yeah. But when I was growing up, I watched all the old surf movies before the magazine and they were all a big waves. You know, yeah, first yeah. it was Makaha, but then it was Pipeline and Sunset. And I think Phil Edwards' first surf pipeline and Endless Summer, the movie, and uh, was 1962. And so this is 65, and I'm 16, and I'm out there because it just looked like Big Huntington to me. Right. And um, But it was a lot heavier, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> just a But bit. I got some good rides, and I just had a hot dog board, you know, yeah. um, of Phil Edwards, you know, who was at the time the greatest surfer in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. But uh, Still he got had a lot of style, and he could tell me what the boards did. And they were harder to turn. And that meant you had to have power to turn them. Yeah. And so you had to develop that. But if you had the power, it had the juice. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so you could turn them. Yeah. And go fast down the line and make waves. Yeah. And what was the culture like then? Because presumably this is, what, what year are we talking now? Well, that was 65. Yeah, so and you're so talking the, like the... the... So w there was nobody on the North Shore, really, to speak of. They came there for two weeks, but mainly in those days, they stayed in Macaw, and part of them stayed at, uh, you know, all the surfers. Yeah. Because there was the Macaw, big Macaw contest. So um, I always stayed on the North Shore. I lived in the bushes on the beach at sunset, and now it's full of people they call them homeless yeah <laughs> right but i hung out there i th i thought it was beautiful you know it was beautiful weather and you know going surfing out every day all day eating coconuts and then finally we bought dewey weber's cadillac car four of us for a hundred dollars and uh you know we'd trade off in the back seat every night somebody else would get it and we'd park next to another vacant car and, and so there was four of us so we'd sleep in two cars front yeah, seat yeah. taxi yeah and then we had a place you know we could go to town or whatever yeah but then it ran out of brakes <laughs> and that was uh that's not gonna help uh boy and we went to town to see an old a surf movie went to kailua but we went to town first and i was with david nueva and david nueva was driving and we, he liked town so we drive to town, no brakes. I don't know how we did it. But then we drive over the mountain and down the hill to Kailua from Waikiki and Honolulu up over the hill and then down. And we were hauling ass by the time we got down to that hill, bottom of that hill. And we was going right through Kailua. This, I don't even know how we stopped, man. We were using the emergency <laughs> brake, putting it in low gear. And, uh, finally we we stopped and we did it we made it yeah you made it i mean unbelievable th things you do when you're a kid yeah you're just out there
So is this like the because you're talking like full counterculture kind of psychedelic era, right? At this time, like mid mid sixties. Well, that was sort of the start of it. Yeah, know, the beginning of it. Yeah, there was more of it. Yeah, <laughs> it was getting plenty, and people started taking it. And uh, Timothy Leary moved to California. And, yeah, you know, LSD's around. Yeah, and it was a big deal. The Brotherhood of Eternal Love it was uh, a big part of the the influence. And it was a beach culture, too, but an inland and, and a society, you know, people were writing about it, trying to figure everything out. And, yeah. But it wasn't like taking uh, just a regular drug. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people experienced and had beautiful experiences. And uh, after they went through their uh, eagle loss and everything, they, uh, going to the beach was great, you know, beautiful nature yeah yeah so the two that it's all combining the cultures you've got the surf culture you've got the cow culture it's all it's all a melting pot at this point so uh, how did it develop in hawaii for you like the surf scene and your, your life there how long were you there from this point you know i owned a house with jerry lopez for probably 20 years at the pipeline before that it was pupakea and i got friends everywhere yeah 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 <laughs> and so uh but my son Nathan lives there at Wyman, so I go see him and hang out and get to play with the kids and and go surfing with Nathan, and that's so beautiful. Yeah, amazing. Well, the family yeah, and he knows all the people there. He grew up surfing there, like since he's been a little kid. So you know, just hanging out, he knows all the old guys from ninety. I don't know how old Peter Cole is, but he's damn close to ninety down to the little kids that are four years old and all his son's friends. Yeah. You know, there's a now there's a total community over there, which is really cool. And they're riding outside reefs and riding all kinds of places and spots that never been ridden and developing new surfing, new surfboards and pushing the limits. And uh, that's what I like to see. Yeah. And that's where the LSD helped out because you could visualize and see things that you couldn't see before. Yeah. You know, and you did things. And that's how the minigun came about. That's how surfing back door and off the wall came about. Right. You know, uh, is dreaming about uh, new ways to do stuff. Yeah. So it kind of helped open a few doors. Like the kind yeah. of surrealist. Doors that you didn't even know that were there. The doors of perception. The surrealist influence. Right. Um, but also, because you're talking about that, but you've you were you've pioneered a lot in Hawaii, right? So you pioneered a lot of towing, surfing in Hawaii over the years, right? I created the toe-in. Yeah, and, uh, this is what I thought. But on a personal watercraft, like a jet ski. Yeah. That's what I created. Now, other people towed in, like Duke Hanamoko, you know, and all those old surf movies and stuff. He towed in on a surfboard. It was just a big thing on an outboard motor and Waikiki on a small wave. It yeah, was yeah. like going, you know, freeboarding or something. So I used to sit at Honolulu Bay and watch Perfect Surf with nobody there because it was like 1966 and there was eight surfers on the island and one stoplight. Wow. And uh, I was eight, I turned 18 at the time and had to sign up for the draft and all that. And this is 1967, the winter up. And uh, signed up for the draft, but then I'd go surfing in the morning out to Honolulu Bay and nobody would show up until like three o'clock because everybody worked. You know, and there was only eight surfers on the island. Yeah. So um, I'd surf all by myself, all alone, and I'd sit on the rocks in no shade, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I lay there and just perfect surf going by, not ridden, 
And I'm just going, God, I wish I had a hydrofoil or something I could just keep on riding waves. It's so glassy. I never thought of a crowd. Right. Never thought of a crowd. Yeah, yeah. And so in 1973, I think it was, I we tested the jet skis out for Kawasaki and broke them all. But in 1975, <laughs> I got one. Right. You know, and by 1976, Christian was six and he was winning the San Free Surf Contest. And I was towing his ass around uh, <laughs> Pochi, you know, the small little things. Yeah, and, yeah. But I wanted to get it to Hawaii, ride those outside reefs. Yeah. And, and so seen. finally, I think in 81, I got it to Hawaii. And, you know, I was riding with all the sailboarders because they were the only ones really riding big waves in and outside reefs because yeah. they had the power with the wind. Yeah. And so I'd go out with them, and we'd ride outside reefs. So anyway, I was trying to talk to all the big wave riders. Right. You know, and, and won't mention any names, but I tried to drag them out, and they just, they thought I was crazy. Right. And I go, hey, it's perfect outside. I just rode 100 waves at outside logs. Yeah. I mean, you don't even realize what's going on out there. Right, right. It's a perfect wave. Yeah. And none of them wanted to do it. And then finally, Christian and Nathan and uh, Johnny Boy, on one small day, they— they towed in. This is still when there were single fins. You yeah, know? sure. Yeah. This is probably 83 or something like that. So one day it was really big, and I was out riding, and I was just having a blast, and nobody could go. It was capping on the third reef, and uh, second reef was popping, and I was just having a blast. And I, I went through a, uh, a tank of gas, and then and then people started paddling out because they saw me having so much fun and they everything. Yeah, yeah. And they thought I could rescue, right? So I uh, I went in and got my tow rope and I tied it on and I went out in the lineup, you know? And, and then I sat there and I started swinging it around like a lasso. <laughs> and I threw it to Martin Potter, Potts. And he grabbed it and he had a big old smile. So he got the first tow in in a big, wow. big wave. That was, that was how it happened. You know, he rode a couple waves, and he got pounded on the inside. And Kong from Australia, Gary Elkerton, he did it. And then Tommy Carroll did it. I was beat by that time. And uh, and so anyway, Mike Stewart, he wanted me to tow him in so bad on the outside reefs. And I go, hey, Mike, I can't do it. But, you know, I respected Mike. He was the heaviest tube rider he blew my mind and i really wanted to tow him but i just didn't have the energy and i'm sorry for that michael but, you know <laughs> i'm sure you're he badass you. <laughs> and that's why i put you in the wave warriors bodyboarding because you were the heaviest tube rider yeah yeah right so how do you did when you see when you see how that scene's developed now how, how does that look to you like the, the towing culture over there oh i think it's great uh the towing is just incredible because you can catch waves that you can't catch yeah you know and you can explore all kinds of places that haven't been explored you know and you can rescue people heavy and i helped out getting brian kailana and uh terry ohui and all those guys in the military and all of them watch me but I got the lifeguards over there, the water patrol, uh, sponsored by Yamaha, and, and they were calling me up saying, oh, I saved this guy's life, and, you know, that's pretty rad. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so now water safety is, you know, they're riding bigger waves, doing more radical things, introduce the life vest to them. Yeah, so you've you helped know? to develop it. Yeah, and everybody yeah. laughed at me, and now look at them. Yeah, yeah. Now they got all kinds of things. So, yeah, it was at the forefront of a, of things, and... 
and I'm really stoked to be a part of it. Yeah, right. You yeah. Know? I mean, I kind of knew that you'd been there at the start, but it's great to hear the actual story, like of where, where it came from. Yeah, and now, you know, rescue is like really heavy when the, when the, when they have airplane crashes and stuff. They send jet skis and lifeguards out there. So you mentioned Dibby. You, met, you, you mentioned you met Dibby. I met Dibby looking for my surfboard at Makaha that Corky Carroll left with <laughs> Dibby's sister, who was world champion at the time, and we were both on the Hobie surf team. Yeah. So Corky on the Hobie surf team ran the team, Yeah. left it at her apartment, and uh, somebody told me that, and so I was looking for Joyce. I think Corky told me he left it over there. And uh, so I was looking for Joyce to get my surfboard and ran into Dibby, and she knew where, I mean, it was her sister, right? Yeah. And then we sort of talked a little bit, but we hooked up later in the next summer. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a small world. Yeah, right. So that's the early 60s, you said. Yeah, that was 65. 65, yeah. <laughs> that was a big year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, ticked a few boxes that year. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, obviously her family's also legendary, right? Well, I knew Joyce, but I didn't know her dad or any of the rest of the family. Yeah. But Joyce, I knew. She was world champion. Yeah, of course. Everybody yeah. knew her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you guys have created your own dynasty with uh, with your boys. Well, uh, Dibby is a beach girl, and she's always been a beach chick, and she knew what was going on, and she always made our clothes, my trunks, you know, her bikinis, whatever. She made it. She was really cr crafty, and, uh, you know, we took care of things, you know, yeah. as, uh, so when we had kids, you know, I went to work and did everything, you know, making surfboards and doing stuff like that. But I made sure the kids had the right equipment. Yeah. And she took them to the beach and she took them to her mom's house. But she took them to surf spots, you know, that they could surf, which yeah. was unusual. But she knew all the surf spots and she went surfing with her dad since she's been three to trestles. That's longer than I have been going to trestles. <laughs> so, you know, all the great surfers of all time would come over to her house and hang out yeah. when she was like a little girl. So she knew know? everybody. Because of her dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then her dad turned his one daughter into the world champion. You know, she she worked at it. She trained and yep. she surfed every day and she wanted to be world champion. She got it. She did it. Yeah. She did it. She's so, still surfing. I just made her a surfboard. Oh, you did? What'd you make her? Something like I ride. Yeah. What, what are you riding at the minute? Well, this was a nine-foot square nose hot dog board. Okay. More of a nose rider. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're mainly surfing then, then at the minute? Yeah. Uh, when I came back from Hawaii in California, I was looking for surf. Couldn't find any, right, <laughs> compared to Hawaii. Yeah, And right. I always had a longboard in my quiver because, yeah. you know, in Hawaii it gets small too. And so then I could take out my longboard, but I always had, I put in different fins. So if it was really shallow, I'd put in a small fin so I could go over the reefs, Yeah, you know, and not hit my fin. So uh, over here, I just uh, rode a longboard unless there was a good size swell. Yeah. And then I ride shortboard because um, I wanted to have fun. Yeah. And so I created... Uh, Longboards again brought the and I called it the Thrillers Back campaign. Well, this is what I was going to ask you about because at the time it was, you know, it was like kind of ahead of its time, right? You know, to do well, that. Well, what happened was, I'll tell you exactly what happened. In uh, 1967, 
we started making smaller boards. Yeah. You know, the boards were, the trend was getting smaller. Yeah. And it was a movement. Yeah. Right? And so we went to Hawaii and we made mini guns. Yeah. There was a movement. And Gary Chapman, who lived with me, or I lived with him, we're, we're roommates, he was pushing the limit with Brewer, uh, Dick Brewer, the shaper. And, but Gary would always get a board about six or nine inches shorter than me, but I'd be paddling around catching more waves. And, and if you're not catching waves, you're not surfing. So that was my theory. And I went down slower, but we discovered a uh, back door and we started making mini guns yep. while everybody else was like in their world, whatever, with fat tails, yeah, right? Yeah. Smaller fat waves like in Australia or California, you know? They got into the twin fin and every, everything like, like that, the wide tails for cutbacks and stuff. And we were dropping in and pulling in the tube. And that's what we wanted to do. And so that was the movement. And then everybody wanted short boards. <laughs> and it was not cool to have a long board. Yeah, it was like, see- oh, wow, that, there goes, uh, you know, looks like an old-time surfer yeah. or something like that, right? Um, but when I moved to California... Everybody went to college. They came back, and it was short. It was long. It was short boards. Yeah. Nobody could surf, right? They were just on short boards. Guys coming back from school, from college. Yeah. Or they went and had a family, and then they couldn't surf. You yeah. Know? And they wanted to surf with their kids. They were getting older, and so I just started making long boards. I go the thrill is back, man. Let's have some fun they yeah. didn't even have blanks for long boards yeah then. yeah i had to create a plug for it so they could make blanks at clark foam but it was really great because people would come in from all over the world and order long boards i advertised in the magazine nobody wanted to make them they go oh we don't make long boards and i could tell you a lot of names too that think they're cool <laughs> that make long boards now <laughs> that think they're cool but you know keep it discreet yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll see them all out there yeah it's so it, funny because it hasn't changed, is it? <laughs> but it was really great because, um, you know, got every families together. Yeah. You know, it was different. People could travel and have fun. Yeah, yeah. surfing. Yeah. And they could teach their kids easier. And, you know, they could all go together. And so that was my deal. Yeah. And a visionary at the time. And uh, and here we are now with a revival. Well, it resurgence. was sort of like uh, the culture revived again, you yeah. know, from the early days, you know. Yeah, yeah. The family goes to the beach and has fun, you know, the bunch of guys. Yeah. Do you see, with your overview, overview of it, of surf culture, do you see that cycle is, is common? Does that happen quite a lot? Like the trends and the fashions kind of come back around? They're different. They're different. They're not the same. Yeah. You know, things change and the, they're more modern. Yeah. You know, you can't go back. You know, I I don't think. I mean, you can if you wanted to live somewhere. I don't know where, <laughs> but not around here, not yeah, California. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about Astro Deck, because obviously that's another thing that you're like uh, super. You know, we're well, in the factory. Astro Deck. Um, when we were young, <laughs> like in the early '60s, '60, '50s, uh, mid '60s. They didn't have uh, any real traction. It was like candle wax called paraffin. And so you'd buy the paraffin that you made candles with and uh, and wax your board. A hot wax job, you'd melt it, you know, and uh, put it on, 
you know, with a rag or something or, uh, or drip a candle on it or you just didn't have the traction. And performance starts with traction, which equals Astrodeck. So we're always trying to come up with something better than wax. Mike Doyle, he created wax research and started putting like um, uh, beeswax in regular uh, wax and some other chemicals to soften the wax up so you could rub it on your board. And my theory was uh, a non-skid, you know, that you could put on your board. So uh, I had a small thin piece of urethane I'd, I'd lay it out and i'd salt it and sand it and so it was like a rock salt finish that's how we first started it and then i started making this foam stuff and cutting it and uh with grooves because <clears throat> i saw s surfing going into the air and hard maneuvers like you know i saw surfing coming from my father-in-law's ear where you just stayed on the tail and trimmed this to make the wave you know you didn't do maneuvers you stood there and trimmed stay in the curl well then with the short board is stay in the tube and it's and then it's all the cutbacks and you know all the movement and um the older guys thought the kids just ruin the waves you know with all the turns and everything is <laughs> destroy them i go right we murdered the waves <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I started seeing, uh, in my mind, I saw skateboarding on the water. And uh, so I was working with my son, Christian, and my other son, Nathan. They were the, like the little test pilots. And they, yeah. I'm their dad, right? They believe me. And so I'd make them all <laughs> kinds of little uh, things to put on their surfboards because they. I took them to the skate park as well. Yeah. And so Christian, he would just uh, test them out, and I'd make him hooks. You know, so he could just hop, you know, and pull little little airs. And I, I got pictures of him at 12 years old flying over people. Right. You know, water water shots of him Gussie going over shots. the cameraman yeah. where you see the bottom of the board. Yeah. Um, but that was his thing. And so he wanted to change surfing, and, and, and he did. And he d did skate maneuvers. And truthfully, today, the surfers do not know the names of the tricks that Christian can still do. Some of them do that skate, but uh, Christian does skate maneuvers and you'll see the surfers do these big uh, flips and stuff or grabs and you know, they're double grabbing and or no grab. It's just different. If you watch skateboarding and then you watch surfing the, the airs, they just haven't caught up, but the surfers have a disadvantage by that big old surfboard compared to a little skateboard. Yeah. You know, and the skateboard is like, you know, you get the perfect, you know, perfect run where you, you got to figure out what the wave's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a stationary thing. So anyway, you can experiment and take things to the limit and, and change it. And believe me, it's not stopping here. Just like I took the jet ski. I thought, uh, motors were, Pistons of the sea, you know, Harleys of the sea, you know, I, I just thought that that would help surfing, you know, and there's waves that you can ride that a lot of surfers, they're too fast. Yeah. You know, you can go to those places. You don't need to go, go to a surf spot and try to show off. Yeah. You know, there's other places to go that yeah. are much faster that surfers can't get to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause did you, were you skating when you were young as well? 
Yeah, I believe I was one of the first pool skaters. Yeah, that's what I thought, like mid-60s, right? Uh, early 60s. Yeah. But I started skateboarding like in 56, somewhere around there. Wow. You know, on metal wheels, and we'd go down hills in Pasadena. One of them was called Foothill. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or Rosemead, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, so what, and so this was... You know, after the Rose Parade? Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. So, th so this was like at the same time as you get into surfing, you're also skateboarding and skating in backyard uh, pool. I got into skateboarding before surfing. Before surfing. Yeah. And then they, they developed yeah. for you hand in hand. Yeah, so when I saw surfing, it sort of blew my mind. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, because I, I was so young. I mean, when you're seven, you really don't know what the hell's going on. I was just doing what my older brother did, you know. Yeah. I was following his lead. You yeah, know? yeah. And he, he brought, you know, we just took apart our skates and put them on a two-by-four. Yeah. I went outside, went down the little driveway and broke my toe. Right, right. <laughs> Stuck on a rock. That'll happen. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was was the films, the film series that you kind of pioneered as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm interested in, in knowing why I've that. always watched surf movies, and before the magazine, that's all there were were surf movies. Yeah. And always want... You know, we'd always watch them at night. You know, at the at the school, and you you'd want to go surfing in the morning. You're all jacked up to go surfing, and there's no surf, right? Yeah. I'm doing a promo video for Astrodeck and and uh, getting all these. I've worked on films myself and worked with photographers and cameramen. Yeah, that's what I do, right? And so, uh, hanging out with these guys, they're showing me this stuff. You know, oh, look at my slow motion camera. You know, it goes 186 frames a, <laughs> uh, a second. And I'm going, oh, that sounds like the speed of light. A <laughs> 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 little different, but uh, anyway, I thought it was funny. <laughs> so uh, um, I got into uh, watching the films and, and uh, making them with some of these, you know, going surfing on surf trips and doing magazine stuff and, and making films. I end up with so much footage. I right. Go, damn this is great and i i'm doing a promo video right and only showing it at the trade shows or that's what people did they showed them at trade shows and yeah I go, why don't i make a video to sell in surf shops and let the kids see what surfing's all about yeah yeah to hardcore rock rock and roll and mtv's coming out so they're all getting used to it right so i made a hardcore surf movie called wave warriors that was hardcore rock and roll the best surfers and the best surf. Yeah. And and nobody thought it would sell. I mean, other people did videos, but they were just for promo. And so I stuck it in uh, Jack's surf shop in Huntington Beach, and they everybody was just sort of, I go, I'll be back in a week, and we'll see what sells. Gone. <laughs> Sold out. <clears throat> yeah. Kids, you know, watched it. They wore out parts of it, you know, back and forth. Yeah. And it was the greatest thing, because they could watch their video before they went surfing, which had never been done before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it was really great because it was teaching the kids, and they'd go out and practice. And then when the aerial thing came about, they'd burn out Christian's area because they wanted to learn how to do those airs. Yeah, nobody did them. People did flyaways. People tried to do airs, and uh, they didn't take it very serious. Christian got serious, and yeah. I filmed it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and you know, I skated. Yeah, you know, so I understood it yeah so not all of it yeah, yeah not what christian got but i understood what was going on and I, and i tried to push it and and i think uh it's great along with the toe in along with the traction along with the long boards yeah. you know 
and the family and it keeps going on grayson's skateboarding he's yeah. surfing i yeah, mean yeah. you know we got two new little grandsons laser and jetson and they're both crazy nuts out there <laughs> getting thrown over the falls onto the beach they got their life vest on they're just hardcore yeah gonna be know? good to see what and loving it they love with. to get yeah you know they like to play hard yeah and you've been doing some work with grayson you've been doing some art with grayson right Grace and I've done a lot of art together. Yeah. We we started when we were really young. His first surfboard, Dibby and him painted together. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And we used his hands to put on it. It was all hand painted and, and really beautiful. And so he used that and surfed on it. And uh he he was always around art. Like a skateboard helmet, he'd turn into art with stickers, you know. And he'd do little drawings. One of them was a favorite, a one-eyed character, monster. He likes monsters. His dad likes monsters, you know. I guess it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, I always liked dragon and monsters when I was a little kid. You know, I still do. You know, yeah. look at all these fantasy movies that are made. Yeah, they're yeah. They're crazy, right? Yeah. And so you can imagine the the newer generation, what, what, how they're imprinted by all this stuff that yeah. goes on. So anyway... Um, Grayson's living with me right now, my wife and I, Dibby and I, and uh, both Dibby and I are artists. He worked up here. He watched us do art every day. If it was advertising, if it was articles, if it was, you know, going in out in the back and shooting, shooting a product shot, designing something, setting up a trade show booth, selling, shipping, all of it. Yeah. You know, so great, and, it, and it's and then going skateboard because there's a skate park four blocks away or something, a mile away. Yeah, you know, and the beach is another mile away. So he had it rough, right? Going yeah, and skating. <laughs> and then I got an open studio, right? And yeah. So uh, he's he's Grayson, He 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 has an interest in painting and yeah. in art. I'd always see him drawing, and I go, you know what? You ought to do some of this stuff. And so he's been in uh, my studio. And I go, you know what? Your studio's everywhere you are. You can do it anywhere. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you are. You can do it in the alley. Look at the graffiti artists. You don't have to do the graffiti and destroy stuff, but you know, it doesn't matter. You could do it in the alley if you want if you get inspired, you yeah. know, and you're traveling somewhere. And and I've done that. I've done it with Christian. I mean, Nathan does stuff on a you know, he'll just be walking somewhere and he'll stop and do some art and then walk on you know yeah. just leave the piece of art there he won't hurt anybody's property yeah but yeah he'll make a little sculpture or something just screwing around you know yeah which See, i think's cool and uh and then leave it that's what's really cool yeah <laughs> i mean to to walk away from it but uh grayson has some talent and he sees things differently and um so he has everything laid out and stuff to play with and uh and so he's learning about it, experiencing it, seeing how things, you know, how the paint, what it does. Yeah. And then you show him different techniques and try not to get hung up on getting hung up on whatever you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and let which, can go be, and which can be difficult, right? It can be. That, that, to let go and yeah. just let it be. Yeah, exactly. To give you yourself know, to, permission. Or you try to make it into something that's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you've always painted your whole life. Uh, pretty much, yeah. When yeah. I was a kid, I used to do uh, oils, and I'd get frustrated because it wouldn't dry, so I could paint over it. Right. So I've studied a lot of uh, art and, and different masters, and, yeah, and all kinds of uh, all kinds of new contemporary artists, and and 
I paint with Julian Schnabel uh, quite often. Yeah. And he's given me a, a lot of techniques and uh, taught me how to see different things and um, and colors. And, and uh, he's really smart about everything he does from beginning to finish, you know. And he's tried to teach me um, all of what he, he knows pretty much. And the same with me with surfing. It's, you know, he comes from an art background, but we've known each other 50 years. Yeah. And I'm a surfer. And so we've sort of, you know, uh, go surf on surf trips and do art. And uh, and uh, we go surfing and, you know, I put him in the lineup. He catches waves. And yeah. he's showed me how to paint and not be scared and how to mix it and how to apply it and how to cover up things and the different uh types of paint but uh also the history of painting and yeah the different styles of painting and who did what and you know uh you'll go to a museum with you with him and he'll explain it in detail and all the brushwork and the different layers if it's masters and the kind of paint they did or if it's like Picasso and, and what he did or, and, and Julian has a totally different style. Yeah. Yeah. So what work, what you are you know. working on right now? Have you got any, have you got any shows coming up? I'm doing, Dibby just did a, uh, a family book. She was just telling me about that actually. It sounds, it sounds yeah. like an amazing project. And so, uh, we're going to have a book launch at the Gagosian bookstore and art gallery the end of August and beginning of September, and there's going to be a big art show with it. it uh, a gallery's connected to the bookstore, and it's a pretty good size, and it's going to be done um, salon style, so there'll be a lot of the whole area be covered. We're going to recreate an Astrodeck. <laughs> That's going to be a big job. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is quite a space. You've got a. It's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. You know, yeah. setting it up is going to be fun, looking at everything, bringing it out, checking it out, and yeah. talking about it. And Julian has taught me how to work. You know, I look at his art, and he does metal work. He does all kinds of sculptures work, and I've made sculptures for him. And, but making stuff for Julian, he teaches you, you know, of what you're looking at and uh, just different stuff. But, he, you know, like... Uh, when you're looking at his stuff, he talks about it, and 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 it's just unbelievable where he's coming from. I started working with metal and and making like my small piece is like 13 feet high, and you know <laughs> that's small, but you know I, I, I'm doing uh, 20 foot, 17 foot, and about that big, and I want to do bigger pieces, you know, to sit in the yard. You know, yeah. big yards yeah, yeah. to make a statement, you know? Yeah. And um, so I work with people that do uh, bridges, and they, they've taught me how to weld. And right. So, so I, I put these things together so you can take them apart and ship them. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Which is, which is pretty cool. And they're all rusted because they've been outside. Yeah. And, you know? Yeah, yeah. So um, that's... I like to do that, but I like to work with resin and fiberglass and because I've always worked with that all my life with my surfboards. Of course, yeah. And so I create different designs. The problem is that you got to keep them out of the sunlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's why I started working with metal. Yeah, yeah. You know, which Makes was sense. different. But um, uh, then I paint, you know, I do a lot of oil paints, but 
I'm a collector of all kinds of things. Yeah. Like I like to collect, I see art in it. Yeah. You know, like uh, we're having a luau in Hawaii and uh, they're cooking the taro root, which is their root yeah, to the sure. earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so they have some other things, but they put it in gunny sack, burlap, right? You got and some pieces out here. With the banana right. leaves, yeah, right? Yeah. And the kahuna blesses it and says a prayer and throws some salt and some water, you yeah. know? And uh, and so I asked them if I could have right. the uh, gunny sacks that they put the root in to cook it because it was all stained. And I'm looking at it as beautiful, yeah. <laughs> you know? Amazing. And they're going, what do you want this stuff for? <laughs> you know? I go, I, I think it's really beautiful. I want to do some art out of it. Yeah. Well, and so they'd only give me the good pieces. They wouldn't give me the stuff with holes and stuff. Right. But uh, anyway, I took them and I painted on them and I, I put other objects on them. And uh, it's just a different uh, a different medium. Yeah. But yeah, I learned that from Julian or, you know, it was a big influence on me. Yeah. And Rauschenberg and, you know, Sigmar Polka and there's a few others. You yeah. Know? Warhol is a big name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard of him, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we did that with a burlap, and then uh, and then I was there at the skate park, and what we were doing at the skate park is it was a, a torn down building of some sort. It had bars in it and stuff. I think it was like for cows or right. something, <clears throat> or grain, or it had something to do with uh, with the cows. I think because there's cows around there. Yeah, and so. Everything's taken, gutted out of it, and all it has is walls. And so we, uh, my friends built the walls into like a skate park. They just put filled it in with dirt and then put cement over it, you know, with some rebar and yeah, and big chunks of cement or whatever they could use to make that solid not break up. So they did all the corners. So they made a big hip with a, a tunnel underneath it. Wow, okay. And so I helped them pay for that and got it going, and then they had coping. And then there was another guy who originated, started this thing, and he's always coming in and making monsters and sticking them on the wall right. or, or rocks so you can't slide something or you got to be really good to do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. He's, and, uh, so it's, it's really a beautiful place. It's called Sheepside. So everybody's tearing things down in the back. You know, there's... Uh, all this tin and so i'm looking at it going wow this stuff has character it's been here over 50 years it's rusted out it's ripped apart it's it's really uh screwed up stuff but it's really beautiful because it's oxidized it's it's painted and yeah. it's peeled off of it yeah yeah i go you can't make this stuff right and so i started putting it together and re-erected it re What's the word? Re yeah, yeah, re re reconstructed it maybe. Yeah, reconstructed, yeah. Uh, re re resurrection. Resurre That's what it is. It's a re re <laughs> resurrection. <laughs> so um, also, I found a place down at the sugar mill, the old sugar mill there, because they quit with the sugar. Yep. Um, sugar cane, and so they closed down the plant, and so there was there was stuff there too that I got. Yeah, yeah. A lot of tin, yeah, and, and I've looked at tin for a long, long time. The corrugated, and and it's really beautiful. So I put pieces of that together. And yeah, it's really a 
cool looking piece. Amazing. You know, so I collect things. Yeah, and you turn and it. And put them together. Yeah, and you turn it into something new. Yeah. Yeah. Like the surfboards. I did yeah. uh, the wall of disaster with all the broken skateboards yeah. from uh, guys. And I put them in different ways so they pop out from the wall to give them a big depth. Or, You know, I like to have things come off the wall a little bit because it's really powerful. It's not just flat. It's not static. Yeah. Yeah. And so these skateboards are all broken, you know, from tricks and scratched and scraped up uh, on the street. It's real street art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got one more question for you, if that's all right. Go for it. So when you when you look at surfing today, what do you see? Well, it depends where you look. But I like to look at backdoor and off the wall and pipeline because and, it's real close and, and right in front of your face and you can see everything. And if you have binoculars, you can really see it. But I like to film it. Yeah. And I like to look at it, you know, afterwards and analyze it. And I really like to put the movies on super slow motion so you can see every little sparkling drop of water. And and you can see what they're doing and their facial expressions and their arms moving and everything. And I like to watch shortboarding, you know? Yeah. I like to, because it's so fast and so, you know, technical and they just, they take off underneath the lip and they stand up in the tube and they always go, why do you, why are you always going the wrong way? (laughs) And I go, well, because I'm on a longboard and I fade to where you take off. (laughs) And so I can really pull off a hard, powerful turn. You know, and so I like watching good longboarding too. Yeah, on, yeah. On good waves, but even on you know Malibu's insane to watch. Yeah, really good surfers. Uh, I like to watch good surfers no matter what they're riding. Yeah, yeah. You know, amazing. Owen's gonna make an appearance. Apart from your boys, who, who do you think's making moves in surfing and is interesting to watch? Uh, you know, who do you like to watch? Wow, that's a big one because it's a big uh, question. Yeah, I mean, I like to watch all the good guys, you know, all of them. The Brazilians are unreal with their uh, attack on uh, backdoor and pipeline, but they're all there. And Kelly Slater, you know, 40 what, seven, still going <laughs> gnarly, something like that. It's I mean, mad, I love to watch Kelly at backdoor. He's he's one of my favorite. McFanning insane all these guys joel parkinson andy's dead but i still watch him in films i got him on my wall right there bruce irons i mean these are older guys and then the new kids all the new kids like uh jack freestone unreal and you know you got to watch these kids john john i've watched him since he's been eight years old you know and and sponsored him and worked with him kelly slater i worked with him since he's been 10 you know and then when he got older he went on his own thing but yeah i've worked with these you know sponsored him and and you can tell a good surfer if he doesn't want to get out of the water and there's no surf (laughs) and he's out there surfing yeah he just makes the waves happen yeah you know the wind chop whatever and kelly i'd see him surfing at coco beach and it would be like three inches and he'd be milking it all the way (laughs) just milking it he wouldn't get out of the water you know he loved it he still loves it he doesn't need to do anything and he just loves to go surfing he'd pay to go surfing right now yeah 
that's how much they love it. And then the big wave stuff, you know, all these big wave. I love to watch the big wave riders. Uh, all of them uh, ride these giant waves. Of course, Nathan's, you know, my favorite because he's my son and he yeah, rode the quite, quite a gnarliest shot. wave known to man. Quite a shot you've got on the wall. Right eh? there. And I mean, there's bigger waves, but they're any, anything thick and gnarly like that. That's insane. Uh, lucky photo, and shallow, it? and lucky he's alive today. But um, Shane Dorian at Jaws is totally incredible. Uh, Garrett McNamara. Uh, I mean, all these guys. You know the names I didn't mention. Uh, you know, uh, I see him in Hawaii. All of them, they're just rip. And I, I go to those things. I, I uh, you know, at Mavericks, I helped put the boat, the camera boat, in the right spot because. You know, I know the waves, you know, I know where to put the guys because I've been out there and the captains of these boats don't know shit, you know, they're going to sink their boat or be way out of the lineup and not get the shot. So the photographers want me, you know, on that boat if they got a good camera, yeah, you know, like a half million dollar camera and, you know, on a gyroscope, they want somebody that knows how to drive the damn boat and put them in the spot yeah. and get rid of the jet skis and all the water patrol and everything because... I'm the water patrol. <laughs> <laughs> and so I look down on them on off this big boat going, get out of the way. And they're like a little tiny kid, you know, down yeah, there. Yeah, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> like, That's heavy shit. But it's a lot of fun hanging out with all those big wave riders, you know, because I did it. Yeah, well, exactly. Know? And I love it. And I could go do it right now, but I might not come back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, Herbie, thank you, man. That's been amazing. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's fun, and I'm going to keep surfing the rest of my life. I I talked to my uh, wife and my grandson, Grayson, last night and told him, yeah, I'm going to be surfing when I'm 100. <laughs> it's not too far away. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a heavy statement, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for your time. If I could paddle out, I'd be, uns I'd be really stoked. Hey, my father-in-law just stopped surfing. He's 87. Wow, really? So, you know, that's life goals right there, isn't it? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it can be done. It can be done. Yeah. You know, especially with the new medicine and everything they have nowadays. Yeah. It's getting better. The surf juice. That's what we need. Yeah. All right, man. Aloha. Thank you. So there you go. That was my conversation with the great Herbie Fletcher. And it was, as the kids say, one for the books, eh? Now, once the interview wrapped, we were lucky enough to spend a good couple of hours with Herbie watching him work as he put together a painting for one of his friends and hearing endless stories about his life in surfing. The man is a true legend and the whole experience was basically a total honour. We were greatly privileged to be welcomed into that environment by the Fletchers. I must especially thank the formidable Dibby, matriarch of the family, who'd warrant an episode of the podcast herself, who was endlessly accommodating in the lead up to the interview, fielding all my questions with grace and savage good humour. One for the next California mission, perhaps. What do you reckon, Dibby? Huge thanks to everybody who's been in touch with feedback on the Peterson and Norton episode, by the way. As expected, the response has been absolutely massive to this endlessly romantic tale. And incidentally, if you'd like to see some of Craig's amazing shots, I've collected them in a highlight on my Instagram page. If you head to at We Look Sideways, click the episode 77 highlight, you'll find a gallery of some of the most influential shots in surf history. Be warned though, you might find yourself quitting your job or at least booking a flight to somewhere exotic. So that was my Huntington Beach omnibus. 
big thanks to everybody who helped me and Tozer on that leg of our trip. Our friends at Surf City USA, particularly Jennifer Tong, Gail at Black Diamond PR, Sam at Hertz, Nikki at the Blue Gold, the Kimpton Shore Break, and of course, our mate Don Brown, who got us absolutely leathered on our last night. Nice one, Don. Anyway, I'm back next episode with a good one. It's my interview with the absolutely legendary Jamie Thomas. Now, I sat down with the chief at his Carlsbad home and we got right into it. I'm going to say it. This one is one of the most intriguing and fascinating looking sideways interviews yet. Believe me when I say you don't want to miss it. So subscribe over iTunes or Spotify to get it when it drops. Elsewhere, housekeeping corner time. So if you listened to the last episode, you might remember that I said myself and Toes were thinking of putting together a little book or zine to commemorate the trip. Well, funnily enough, I've actually been approached by somebody about doing an actual real looking sideways book, you know, like you can buy on Amazon or in Waterstones and all that. And I've actually been lucky enough to write a few books over the years. So I can say with some authority, it is an absolute shitload of work. But it's been a while and obviously I'm intrigued by the idea. Got a few ideas for formats, but I'd love to hear what you lot think. The great looking sideways listening public, assuming that you do something as retro and 20th century as read books, that is, and your brain hasn't been completely scrambled by the internet. But yeah, let me know what you reckon. Uh, you can message me on Insta over at We Look Sideways or drop me a line at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. Love to know what you think. So, as you might have noticed, if you do follow me over on Instagram, I recorded a shitload of episodes when I was in the States. I think it's 18. Proper backlog. Ahoy. So I'm going to try and up the frequency to twice a week if I can. Yeah, I mean, I've not asked this for a while. I'm going to say I'd really appreciate some help from everybody enjoying the show in uh, in helping me to spread the word on these episodes and supporting the show in any way you can. I think from some of the emails that I've been getting recently, I've obviously been doing a really good job of making it seem like I'm A, rich or B, financed in some way um, to put this out there when the fact is that neither of those things are true um, I've basically created this thing completely off my own back using my own cash and street smarts where I can to get it out there um, there's a big old audience of people enjoying it each week from what I can tell and what's even nicer is that people seem to feel a real affinity for the show and an increasing familiarity with me which is quite comedy and much appreciated um, it's all really nice but it'd be even nicer if, if this is you that I'm describing who is a regular listener and who loves the show, if you could just help me push it, you can share, you can review, or you could even gasp, buy some merchandise. It really does help keep this thing on the road. It's also a really nice morale booster, to be honest, because it's a fucking mission putting this thing together. And every time I do get a little bit of kickback, even something like an email or a review or the odd merch sale, it does actually mean quite a lot. So there you go. That's enough for this week. Um, that's enough begging from me. Hope you enjoyed my interview with Herbie. I'll be back next week with Jamie Thomas. Have a good one. <laughs>